Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Man, I'm glad you're here today. You guys ready? All right, we're starting a brand new series today called Say What? Because I don't know about you, but when I read through, specifically in the Gospels, Jesus would sometimes use shock value, I think, to get people to listen to what he's saying. And you're like, say what? And so it worked. Like, I mean, people did. They, they kind of leaned in and listened. But then it confused the crowd as to what they were saying. So today's sermon, we're actually giving out free duct tape because it's going to blow your poof like your head. And it's not designed to keep your head from exploding. It just will actually collect all the parts. So when we take you to the hospital, the doctor, no, I'm just kidding. It, it's one of those Sundays. It's actually one of those series where, man, I'm, I, God's got me on this mission to encourage you and fire you up. I want you to leave out of here with your faith built. But sometimes you got to pause and slow down and dig a little bit into the theology of Scripture. So your life and your faith is rooted in Christ. Amen, everybody? So for the next few weeks, we're just, say what? Like you've been reading through the Bible and Jesus said something that has some shock value attached to it. We're going to try to address some of those bigger moments. Like here's an example, John chapter 6, which is where we're going to go today. So if you brought your Bible, you want to open it up or turn it on or whatever, that's where we're going to go. In John chapter 6, this is one of those moments where it says many of his disciples said Jesus. Like this is really hard to understand Who can accept that? Who can understand what it is you're trying to say? And we're going to unpack that whole story. But throughout the Gospels, there's like Jesus makes this statement in Luke. He said, unless you hate your father, hate your mother, say what? Like unless you hate your brothers and your sisters, that part I understand. I got some second cousins I could throw in there too. You know, but Jesus said, unless you hate your own life, then it's impossible to have eternal life. And, And Man, these, these statements like that are so hard. We're going to jump into that one in the coming weeks. It's just hard. Today's story is actually in John chapter 6, and it's a long story. There's actually four mini stories that take place in John chapter 6. One's kind of cool. Jesus walks on water. One's kind of cool. He feeds a bunch of people. And it all kind of points back to this same theme, that my goal and my hope for you, whenever you're reading through your Bible or you're reading through the book of John, and you come to John chapter 6, And Jesus makes one of those, say what, kind of statements that from this day forward, that I hope hope this helps you put into context and understand exactly what it is that he's trying to say. Because there were disciples who gave up their jobs, they walked away from their careers, they gave up their livelihood, they dropped their fishing nets, they patted their kids on the head, they told their wife, I love you, I'll be back, I don't know when. And they dropped everything and they followed Jesus. Then he makes these crazy statements like you need to hate your mother and your father and your brother and sister. And he makes these statements like what we're going to talk about today. Just go, say what? And John 6 is full of some really deep theology that we won't delve into today. We just won't. Like we could do a six-week class on Wednesday nights on just, just John 6 and everything that's there. But what I want to talk about today, I've got to, if you'll allow me, Let me build a little bit of case to help you understand. See, we look at the Gospels, and we look at this story in John chapter 6, 2,021 years later. Like, we have the luxury of having the Bible and all these translations. 
and all of these theologians and all these commentaries that kind of can help us explain that. But I like to put the shoes on of the people that were there that day in the crowd. And Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, say, what? And so I want to jump into this. And, and, and so we have the luxury of Paul explaining some theology. We have the luxury of Peter and some of his letters helping us to understand what it was that Jesus was saying. And one of the verses, this is not in John 6, this is 1 Corinthians 1.18. It'll help this make sense, but it'll also help your life make sense because you have people who are far from Christ. They're not believers. Maybe it's family members or, or maybe it's a friend that every time you talk about Jesus, they, their eyes just glaze over and they check out and they don't track with you a little bit. 1 Corinthians 1.18 helps that make sense. It says, for the message... The preaching of the cross. Telling people the significance of why Jesus had to die on the cross. And 2,000 years ago, I'm shedding his blood. The, the preaching, the message of the cross is foolishness. Some people think it's nonsense to those who are perishing. The perishing means people that are lost. To people that have not made Jesus their personal Savior. To those who have no relationship with God. They don't have the spirit of the living God in them and teaching them and growing them. But for those who are saved, it's power. It's life. To lost people that have never tasted and seen that God is good, the cross makes no sense to them. How could a guy who lived 2,000 years ago have anything to do with me and my forever? To the people who don't have the Spirit of God that's helping them grow, helping the, whole, the Holy Spirit's helping them understand God's Word, the things of God, they just don't make sense to them. And maybe like, oh, because I keep talking to this person and, and they, just, they, don't, they don't receive it. It's because they're not ready. It's foolishness to them. But if you have tasted and seen the goodness of God, if you have received the mercy and the grace of the cross, like I once was blind, but now I can see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. The cross is life. The cross is, is power. And you're gonna see this idea becomes evident in the story in John chapter six. Some people get it, some people don't. And we're going to see that as, as we un unpack all this. And so John chapter 6, and I'm not going to read all of it, but I am going to read a lot. There's just a lot of verses. I'm going to read two or three verses, hit the brakes, pause, kind of explain why that's there, why that's going on. But in the beginning of John chapter 6, it begins with Jesus teaching a bunch of people. He, he, he tries to kind of get escape from the crowd, and he goes up on the side of the mountain. The crowd comes looking for him. The crowd finds him. And in that moment, he feeds a whole bunch of people. Like scripture records what we call two miraculous feedings. One time he feeds 4,000 people and Matthew and Mark both tell that story. There's another time where he, what we call the feeding of the 5,000. All four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell the feeding of the 5,000 story. And what's interesting, some of them say, it, and there were 5,000 there if you only count them in. So a lot of theologians believe there was upwards to 10, 12, maybe 15,000 people there that Jesus just took a few loaves and he multiplied it and he fed all these people, okay? So he, he does a miracle. He heals people. People see it. And now he's handing out free food. Who doesn't love free food Jesus? I mean, if he had tacos, I'd be all over that, right? Free taco Jesus, amen? Okay. Then there's this little story that starts in verse 16. Like Jesus kind of slips away from the crowd. It's dark, no one can find him and He's up, we don't know where Jesus is at, and the disciples, they go down to the Sea of Galilee, which is, it's this, all this story takes place right there by the Sea of Galilee. And it's starting to get dark, and, and they know they gotta go to the other side, and, and it says that the 12 disciples get in a boat, they left without 
Jesus. Maybe the thing you're here today is, that's probably one of the biggest mistakes you can ever make is leaving without Jesus. Just make sure Jesus is in your boat. Just make sure you're going the way that Jesus is going. It says they left without Jesus. They're out there across the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes up and Jesus comes walking on the water. What's going on? How's everybody doing? You know, like, yeah. Who wouldn't want to invite walking on water Jesus to the party? You know, hey, Jesus, you give me a Sprite? Sure, and he just walks across the pool. Hey, what's going on? How you doing, you know? And so he walks out on the Sea of Galilee, calms the storm. They arrive to the other side. And then there's this story that I want to talk about that starts in verse 22. The next day, the next morning, the crowd that Jesus had fed, okay, they're back on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They stayed on the far shore. But here's the deal. They saw the 12 disciples get in the boat, and there wasn't no Jesus in the boat. They saw the 12 disciples leave, but Jesus wasn't with them. So they think Jesus is still on their side, right? So they saw that the 12 disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Verse 23, several boats from Tiberias landed right there where they're at, where the Lord had blessed them and fed all them, okay? Verse 24, so when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went across to Capernaum, or Capernaum, you want to say it properly, okay? And they're looking for him. So all these people, like, they realized, they saw the disciples leave, but didn't see Jesus leave. But now they can't find Jesus. Some boats show up. Get the boats! And so they're in the boats, and they're rowing, and they're going across the Sea of Galilee. Verse 27, they found him on the other side of the lake, and they ask, Rabbi, like, when did you get here? Like, we saw the disciples leave, but you weren't in their boat. And all the other boats were there. How did you get from over there? So over here, because it's a long way to, dude, how'd you do that? Verse 26, and Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. He didn't even answer their question. Like, dude, how'd you get over here? Did you walk on water, Jesus? How'd you? He, didn't even, he didn't even acknowledge that question. He says, listen, you're only looking for me because I fed you last night and it's breakfast time and you want biscuits and gravy, Okay. Let me pause. God would use miracles. He would use miraculous signs to validate his anointed people. Think about Moses when he goes to Pharaoh and God says, okay, it's time. I'm tired of my children of Israel being in slavery in Egypt. Moses walks into Pharaoh and says, hey, God says, let the kids go. Pharaoh says, no. And then Moses does these, God uses Moses to do these big miracles. Like he turns the Nile River into blood, and he brings all these gnats and, and all these frogs and all these locusts. God would use miraculous signs for Elijah and Elisha to say, I validate this person. This person is speaking for me. You can listen. God would use miracles to say, this person really is from heaven, okay? And Jesus is saying, hey, you're chasing me not because you understand the miracle I did yesterday when I fed all those people or that I miraculously got on the other side of the lake. Let's just get real. You want breakfast, right? I fed you dinner, now you want breakfast. You're chasing me because I got free food. And you think that I can make your life easier. Verse 27, it might be the most important verse of this story. There's a lot right here. Don't, don't let 27 slip through your hands. Don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. 
Spend your energy seeking eternal life. Okay, you guys are chasing breakfast. You're chasing things that will perish. You're, you're worried about things in this life. And Jesus saying, clearly there is more to the story than this life. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of approval. How did he do that? Through miracles. Like feeding 5,000 men and all their kids. Like walking on water across the Sea of Galilee. Verse 28, they replied, well, we want to perform God's works too. Like, how do you do that? What should we do? We, want to, we, want, we like miracles. We want to do miracles. Like, I want to make food multiply. I want to walk on water. How do, how do you do that? Verse 29, and Jesus said, listen, the only work, the only work God wants from you is believe. The only work God wants from you is believe in the one he has sent. Man, I'm just going to let that linger. The only work God wants is believe in Jesus. I mean, that is one of the most freeing, most powerful, most spiritually insightful verses of the Bible. Your only job, the only work God wants from you is believe in Jesus. See, there, there are some that, that are working, trying, striving. They're trying to earn God's love, trying to clean up so maybe, so maybe God would love them. There's some that are always mad, worried that God's always mad at them. And man, I, I feel like I'm never good enough. I can't be enough. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. The only work, you got one job, and that's to believe in the one that God sent. You know what I'm saying? Like, like this is a mic drop moment. Boom. I'm going to walk off exit stage left. Hey, I'm glad y'all came to church today. I'm out. You know? And then they miss this moment. Jesus just unpacks all this beautiful, freeing, powerful stuff. And they miss this moment because verse 30, they said, Whoa. all right, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do now? Huh? Huh? What can you do? So I'm going to put this in what I call the Brent Kellogg version, the BKV, right? And I just envision fifth graders on the playground defending their father's nobility. Prove it. You can't prove it, huh? huh? You do miracles, you can't prove it. I double dog dare you. First of all, don't ever double dog dare Jesus. You just don't. If you're going to dare Jesus, it's got to be like triple dog dare with no take backs or not. You, know, you don't ever just like, eh, prove it. Okay, and, and Jesus said, listen. They're, they're going, Jesus, if, if you do a miracle, we'll all believe. If you do a miracle in front of all of us and we see it, then we'll all believe. And Jesus is like, no, you're not. That's, not. that's not true. That won't happen. Here's why Jesus says that, because in 16 verses earlier, and I didn't read this a minute ago, but John 6, 14, when the people, when the crowd, when they saw him do this miraculous sign, they were there. They saw it. They said, surely this is the prophet we've been expecting. They've already seen a miracle. They saw a miracle yesterday, but yet they still don't believe. So what's another miracle going to do? You saw one yesterday. You're not sure how I got here. Like you think and I walk across the way. So prove it, Jesus. Do another miracle and we will all believe that you're sent by God. No, you won't. They go on to say this. After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. I still hear them acting like fifth graders. Like, my dad's stronger than your dad. Uh-uh, you take that back. 
my mom's stronger than your mom. Doesn't matter. Yeah, like my bike's faster than your bike. No, my football better than you. Uh -uh. Like they're saying, Moses gave our people bread. Jesus, what can you do? Verse 32. I tell you the truth. He, like he sets the record straight. Like, listen, the truth is, Moses didn't do jack, <laughs> right? Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. That came from God, who is my father, who sent me. And true bread, now he offers to you from heaven. The bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The word true there, it's, it's mentioned a couple of times. It's elthinos in the Greek. It, it means the opposite of what is imperfect. So the opposite of imperfect is perfect. The opposite of what is frail means it's certain, right? And so Jesus is saying, listen, I am the true. I am the perfect bread. I'm the certain bread. You can count on this. In verse 33, don't miss what he's saying. I am true, I'm perfect, I'm certain. I came down from heaven. I give life to a dead, heavy religious system. I am the bread. You have to hear Jesus say that in verse 33. I am the bread. I am the bread. I like there's this chant breaks out. You are the bread. No, he don't miss what he says right there. I am the bread. He says it once. Verse 34. Sir, give us that bread every day. Like Moses got manna from heaven, and if you're saying you're the bread, dude, let it show up. And Jesus said, I am the bread. The second time he says it. I am the bread. And whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. I'm here. <laughs> I get tired of wanting tacos. I just want to, man, if I could not have to eat and live, think of the weight I would lose. It'd be awesome. Like, sign me up for that, Jesus. And whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever comes to me will never be thirsty. Jesus said, listen, I know you get hungry. I know it'd be great to walk out the door and boom, God had Uber Eats deliver food right there for you every day. That would be legit. God did a meal train for you. You never have to work again. Women, you never have to cook again. Men, you never have to wash another dish. Can I get an amen? Like, I want to do that miracle thingy, right? <laughs> Kitchen's clean. I'm out. I know you get hungry. I know you get thirsty. And our daily physical needs those are real. Those are real. Verse 27, Jesus said, be careful, you're chasing perishable things like food. But there's more to this story than your next meal. And here's what he's saying. If you're not careful, you can spend so much time chasing things that meet your physical needs, you completely neglect your spiritual needs. I'm gonna say that again so you can amen a little better, right? If we're not careful, we can spend so much time chasing things that fulfill our physical needs and completely neglect our spiritual needs. And the spiritual, that's the greater. That's the longer. That's the eternal. So my stomach growls when I get hungry or eat raw vegetables or beans. Like if you're ever in a meeting with me and like people just look at me like, what's wrong? Like, hungry. You know what I'm saying? Like a whale. 
My mouth, like when I get dehydrated, it's all nasty. You know, like I just got like three layers of stuff on my tongue. My body hurts when I'm hungry. My body hurts when I get thirsty. It's so thirsty. My spirit don't growl. I mean, there might be growls when you're like fighting with your wife, or, you know, yelling at your kids, right? When you're spiritually not doing the things you need to be doing, but there's no physical pain involved, right? I don't get that old nasty taste up in my mouth when I'm not spiritually where I'm supposed to be. There's no physical pain when there's spiritual poverty. Like you just, you don't even sometimes even notice. And Jesus is saying, be very careful not to let the things you think you need keep you from the things you need most. And the thing you need most doesn't have physical pain attached to it. You can skip a meal, your body gonna tell you, you know, it's going to growl. You know, you get dehydrated. I need some water. Your body, your body, your body's going to tell you. But if you skip prayer time, you hardly will notice. I'll get it made up tomorrow, Jesus. If you skip church, there's no stomach growlings. Like you don't even, you may not even notice it in the short term. John 6, 36 says, listen, you haven't believed in me even though you've seen, like you saw me do the miracle yesterday and you still want more? You saw me, I handed you a basket of food and said, here, Steve, go hand this out. And you still want more miracles? You were there. Jesus is saying, I could do all the miracles and it still would not be enough. Verse 37, however, those the Father that has given me will come to me. I'll never reject them. There's a lot of theology there. Like that's a 12 part Wednesday night series and a Bible study where you just, there's a lot there, right? Let me sum it up for you, 1 Corinthians 1.18. Not everybody's gonna understand this. The message of the cross is foolishness to some. It's nonsense to some. I don't expect this to make sense to everyone. Some of you just don't get it. Some of you just don't have the faith to believe and he says in verse 38, for I've come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me. I'm from heaven. I came, remember the manna? Yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm from heaven. God sent me. I'm not here on my own. I'm not here doing this in my own will. I'm the guy. I'm the one that the Father has sent. That's what the miracles were all about. That's here. Have a basket of bread. Here, here. That's what the walking on water was about. That's what the miracles are all about is I'm the guy. I'm the one. I want to jump to verse 41. It says, then the people began to murmur. <laughs> No, there's a murmur. And they're in disagreement because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. You're the one, right. You're the Messiah, okay, okay. You're the bread of life. I don't think so, Jesus. Verse 42, in their murmuring, they said this. Isn't this Jesus? Now just delete those three words for just a second because it means something to us because we know Jesus went to the cross. We know Jesus was the Messiah. But to them... I know your dad. Aren't you the son of Joseph? I've worked with your dad. I mean, we went to school with your mom, right? We know your parents. How can you say, I came from heaven? You came out of your mama. I was there. And Jesus is like, oh, no, you didn't. You know what I'm saying? He's like, you, you have pushed my buttons. It's on like Donkey Kong. It's fine, Jesus, just breathe. But you start to see his language escalate as they're murmuring and complaining. He's gonna come fire back right at them. I tell you the truth. 
Anyone who believes has eternal life. Remember that whole, Jesus, how do we do miracles? How do we walk on water? How do we multiply food? And he says, listen, the one thing you need to be focused on is believing. The one who believes has eternal life. Verse 48, I am the bread. He says it again, third time. Your ancestors, you were just bragging about, oh, Moses gave us manna out in the wilderness. Those people, yeah, they're all dead. They died. You were, you were so big and you were so, oh, Moses got manna. Yeah, all those people died. Listen, God daily met their physical needs and they still died. I'm telling you, there's something bigger than breakfast. There is more than just meeting your physical needs. Verse 50, anyone who eats the bread from heaven will never die. I'm the living bread. He says it again. I am the bread. I am the bread. And I came down from heaven. I didn't make this up on my own. God sent me down here. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I offer so the world may live is my flesh. Ah, this is hard, Jesus. Eat the bread. How do I eat you and your flesh? And ah. You can have all the Moses manna that you want. God fed them every day. Uber Eats showed up every day, like meal trains. Okay, great, there's more food. And they still died. You are looking for the physical, and Jesus is talking about the spiritual. Jesus is talking about the eternal. Don't forget, there's more to this story than just the 70, 80 years that you may live on this earth. There is eternity. And Jesus is talking about eternal things, and they're talking about breakfast. I want some biscuits and gravy, Jesus. You're focused on your next meal, and Jesus was focused on the message. So this conversation so confusing. I don't know about you, but I read John 6, I'm real tempted to go, what's in seven? Let's just peek ahead, you know? What's this, eat my flesh, drink my blah, blah. Verse 52, then the people begin arguing. Okay, great, first they're murmuring, now they're arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man, Joseph's son and Mary's boy, how can he give us flesh to eat? Now they're not really arguing with Jesus. They're over here talking to each other. I'm like, I don't understand. Do you understand? I don't understand. How can he give us flesh to eat? And then boom, shock factor. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. I don't, just don't understand. I don't know what he said. What? And there's always one. The crowd just gets real quiet. And Jesus makes this statement. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll not have eternal life. There's always one. Say what? What? What you did, did you, dude? That's weird. What are you talking about? Unless you eat the flat, drink the blood, you can't have eternal life. And the critics and the skeptics of the Bible, they love this verse because it makes Jesus sound like a crazy cannibal. Like I thought for sermon illustration, I would just fillet off a piece here. Like, okay, that's gross, right? We're not doing that. Put your knife up, Colby. Jesus talks a little bit more, but he keeps saying the same thing. Like, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have eternal life. Ah! Jesus, what are you saying? I've been a Christian my whole life, studying this week. I'm like, let's just go preach in Ephesians. That'll be much easier, right? Like, what are you saying? Verse 60. Many of his disciples said, many of his, many of his, the crowd? No, it doesn't say the crowd. Many of the people standing in the background watching? No, it doesn't say that. It says many of his, the people following him. This is very hard to understand. Jesus, 
How can anyone understand it? How can anyone accept it? Verse 66, at this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. Then he turned to the 12. Love this part. What about you? You gonna leave too? And Simon Peter said, Lord, where are we gonna go? I love that abandonment in Peter's voice. Lord, to whom else would we go? Where, where are we gonna go? You alone have the words that give eternal life. God has one job for you, it's to believe. We believe. I don't understand it all. It's kind of freaking me out with the whole eat my flesh thing, but I believe. I believe you are the one Holy One of God. So the point that John chapter six is making, and any time from now on in years to come, young people, when you're, when you're reading and you're gonna go off to college and some professor's gonna say, Jesus was a cannibal, that's not what that's saying. Anytime you read John chapter six, maybe you haven't got there in your one-year Bible or whatever, this is what I want you to think. Anytime you're reading, eat my flesh and drink my blood, this is, this, is, this is the four words I want you to ask yourself. Because this is the point of John chapter 6. This is the point of the conversation that Jesus is having with all the people that are following up the hill and then following across the Sea of Galilee and then begging him for breakfast. Here it is. You ready? What am I chasing? What am I chasing? They were chasing to have their physical needs met. Jesus wanted them to find faith. They were looking for breakfast. Jesus wanted them to believe, right? They just wanted their physical needs. Jesus just wanted them to have faith. Hey, Moses gave us manna. What you got, Jesus? What can you give us? What can you do for us? They wanted breakfast. Jesus just wanted them to believe. We want to have our physical needs met, our current circumstances. We want those taken care of. God just wants you to have faith. The crowd was chasing things that met their circumstantial need. All the while, they were missing the eternal. What are you chasing? Let me show you how this plays out in our lives. We spend our time working, 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 trying to get ahead. All the while, God's saying, listen, you, you gotta take some time to rest and worship that whole Sabbath day. I don't have time to take a Sabbath, man. Work's going so crazy and so busy, and I, I, I gotta work. No, 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 no. God worked for six days, and he stopped, paused, rested, and worshiped on the seventh. No, 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 I don't have time to rest and worship. I gotta go, I gotta go, go, go. No, I gotta get it, I gotta get it done. I gotta have the perfect yard so I can make my neighbors jealous. I gotta have the perfect life so I can post pictures of it on Instagram. I can't stop, won't stop. That's the rhythm of our life, right? And so we're so focused on our circumstances that we miss the spiritual. I work so hard to save money. You gotta save money. You gotta spend money on my kids so my kids can have everything their little hearts desire. My babies have gotta have it better than I did. Listen, we drink out of water hoses. I'm pretty sure our kids are okay, right? Like, our kids have seat belts. I had a basket in the back seat, you know? Work, 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 work. We gotta have what we want, gotta have it today. You know, and if we don't have enough money, we just, we just borrow it. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. You need to store up some treasures in heaven as well. Do we live and give like there really is an eternity? That's John 6. Do we really live and give like there is a heaven 
Or is it all about the immediate? Is it all about what I'm experiencing in this life? Does your life look like what Jesus was teaching in this moment? Are you more concerned about your current circumstances than you are spiritual principles? Selah. Selah means pause, just let it linger. If you don't like it, it's, it's a thing in Psalms. You'll get it next time. I'm fine. It's fine. You're fine. Okay. Secondly, they were chasing miracles. Jesus was proclaiming a message. If you do another miracle, we'll believe Jesus. No, no you won't. I did one yesterday. I handed you a basket of bread, Steve. What'd you do with it? You won't, like, another miracle is not gonna make you believe. Besides, a miracle won't save you. I could do all the miracles in the world. The miracle won't save you. It's the flesh of Christ that was beaten and broken for our iniquities. It's the blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. That's what saves you. A miracle won't save you. Here's how I know that. Everybody say, I love BK. People come to God in crisis mode. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about people at other churches, right? People come to God in crisis mode and they prayed and they got other people to pray and they believed God and God answered. God showed up. God got them through the crisis. They got their miracle. They got their prayer answered. Only weeks later, the crisis is over. They gone. If my relationship with God is based upon what he does for me today, if it's based upon how he can make my life easier today, and it's not based upon the grace, and it's not based upon the mercy of the cross, you will constantly be disappointed with God. I love the fact Matthew 7, 11 says that we have a good God that loves to give good gifts to his kids. That's not me, that's the Bible. But if all Jesus ever did was die on the cross so he could forgive a lifetimes of your sins, is that enough? Is Jesus shedding his blood so you can be saved? Is that enough? Jesus saying, listen, you followed me because I fed you. Would you follow me if all I did was forgive you so you could have a relationship with God? You're so focused on the circumstantial, you're missing the spiritual and the eternal. Number three, they were chasing solutions and Jesus was trying to show them the spirit. They just want their life to be easier. Hey, Jesus, we get hungry every day. If you could fix that, that'd be great. If you could give us bread every day or enchiladas on Thursday, that'd be great. Jesus, I don't like cooking. If I could do miracles and go, ding, the sink is clean, I don't like cleaning either. You know, Jesus, um, can you just make it where I don't have to do that? Jesus, can you make my life easier? Can you make it so I can do miracles? That'd be really cool. I would be the life of the partay. You know what I'm saying? They were looking for Jesus to make their life easier Jesus was looking to make their life eternal. Verse 63, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. Jesus is not always going to look like you expect him to look. Jesus is not always going to say what you expect him to say. Jesus is not always gonna give you what you want him to give you. Will you still Follow him. And there are many who wouldn't. There were many that day that didn't have the faith. They deserted. There are many who look at the cross and it's foolishness. There's many who the cross is, is not enough. And listen, man, I know I, I want to 
scream and energize and fire your faith up so you can go out there and attack hell with water pistols. Listen, I want to encourage you that there are moments that we need to stop, pause, dig into the hard things that Scripture talks about because that's building a root of theology. That's building a root of foundation for when these kids grow up and they have some friend that's an atheist and says, Jesus is a cannibal. You go, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. That's not what that's saying. What that's saying is if all Jesus ever did was give his life on the cross, man, that's enough for me because the cross of Christ is life. Sometimes what Jesus asks is hard. Sometimes what Jesus says is not necessarily what I want to hear. The question is, do you have the faith to stay? And many disciples turned and walked away. When you read John chapter six and he talks about eat my flesh and drink my blood, I hope from this day forward, this is, this is what you ask yourself. When you read that and, and it's still hard to understand, I know I've talked about it for 36 minutes, I, I get that, but this is what I want you to understand. When you read that verse, you need to ask yourself, what am I chasing? Am I chasing things that will meet my immediate circumstantial physical needs? Oh, I'm hungry. Or am I focused on the spiritual and the eternal things that Jesus is calling to? What am I chasing? Now, this, this passage for us, it's still hard, but we have some things that they didn't have that day. Like we have some things like communion. We have some things like the Lord's Supper. And, and so it's easy for us to go, okay, well, Jesus said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He's, gonna, he's talking about the Last Supper when he's with the disciples, and they're going to take the Passover meal. And so it's easy kind of for us to explain it. It's still weird, eat my flesh, drink my blood. It's still weird. But Jesus would bring this up actually several times in the Gospels. But one other time is his, what we call the Last Supper. They're celebrating a Jewish holiday called Passover. They're there celebrating the Passover meal. There's bread, there's wine, there's bitter herbs or all that stuff. And Jesus brings this up one more time. In your seat, there is a little cup, looks like a thimble. And maybe you've never done this. On the top, there's a, there's a clear plastic part. That's gonna uncover a piece of, it's bread. It tastes like styrofoam, but I promise it won't kill you, all right? In the cup is grape juice, hopefully. It hadn't turned into wine. Sometimes they're a little chunky. But we keep them refrigerated. It's fine. It's fine. And, and so in church world, we call this communion. We call this the Lord's Supper. We call it the Eucharist. Okay? It's one of the foundations of our faith in Christianity. Jesus celebrates this meal with his disciples. He sits there, and again, he says the same thing. He's like, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. It makes a little bit more sense to them in that moment. Normally, we don't do this on Sunday morning because for a person that's never grown up in church or a person that's kind of a new Christian or whatever, like, what? what? Drink his blood? What? It's a hard disconnect. But this morning, this is John 6. For us as the church, we partake in the Lord's Supper, in, in communion. And so I wanna just guide us through that this morning. In Matthew, he sits there with his disciples. And as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. And he broke it into pieces. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this bread for it is my 
body, it's my flesh. And I don't know so much that it's about the bread as it was about the breaking. Because in the hours to come, Jesus would be tied up, he would be arrested, he would be beaten and whipped and brutally executed. And his body would be torn as his flesh would be torn. And so when you take the bread, when you consume the sacrifice of Jesus, right, you're partaking in a part of his sacrifice on the cross. His skin, his flesh was ripped, and we're breaking, we're ripping that bread to remember what Jesus did on that cross. The people in John 6, they didn't understand that. I wonder when when Peter was sitting there and John was sitting there and Jesus said, I take this bread, did the light come on? He said, take, eat, for this is my body. Father, we take this piece of bread, and we thank you for what it represents. We thank you that his body was ripped and torn. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was wounded for our iniquity. And today, God, we partake in his crucifixion. We, we remember what he did for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the bread. And then it says, he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to him and said, each of you drink of it. For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. I'm going to talk a little bit of Catholic theology. There are some branches of, of Catholics that believe in this idea of transubstantiation. There'll be a spelling test on that. No, I'm just What? that thought is, they lean into John 6, that when you put the bread of the Eucharist, when you put the bread in your mouth, it miraculously changes into the flesh of Christ. And they also believe that when you drink of the communion wine or you drink of the juice, that it supernaturally turns into the blood of Christ. Because Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, now we don't, we don't we don't believe that. It's, it's just bread and juice, okay? It's just bread and juice. But we lean into what, what Paul said. Listen, the reason why you do this is to remember. When you rip that bread, remember that the flesh of Christ was ripped on that cross. When you drink that cup, remember that the shedding of blood has the power to forgive sins. And so in the Old Testament, Something had to die for you to be forgiven. A lamb, an ox, a sacrifice had to be made. There's only been one person, one person who ever lived a perfect life, and that's Jesus. And because he did that, he now qualified to serve as a sacrifice for all humanity of those who would accept him and believe in Jesus. 
He was perfect. He didn't deserve to die. And because he said, I'll do that. I'll go to the cross. You can break my flesh. You can shed my blood. He now served as a sacrifice for your and I's sin. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And some of you, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to partake of the sacrifice that Jesus made. That, that's why he's saying, you have to eat my flesh, you have to drink my blood. You have to, you have to take part in my sacrifice. We just symbolically ate his flesh, and now we're fixing to drink symbolically his blood, which, which it's his sacrifice that makes me whole. He, this represents the entirety of the gospel message. That all of us have sinned. Everybody that's ever lived since Adam to us has sinned except for Jesus. He was the only one that could qualify to be your sacrifice. All of us have sinned. David sinned. Moses sinned. Abraham sinned. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wage, the consequence of that is death. That's why Adam had to die. That's why Moses had to die. That's why you and I at some point will die unless Jesus comes back. But there's also an eternal death. There's heaven and there's hell. I don't care whether you believe it's real or not, it's coming. And depending on what you did with Jesus in moments like this determines whether you will get to spend eternity in heaven, spend eternity in hell. And he shed his blood so that you could be forgiven. The Bible says that while you were still a sinner, Christ died. Christ shed his blood as a perfect sacrifice. And if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you would believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. And if you've never done that today, I want to help you confess and believe. And the best way I know how to do that is by simply just leading you in a prayer. There's no magic words. There's no magic chant. You just have to, this is the best way I know how to confess and believe. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to walk an aisle. I'm not going to ask you to talk to anybody. I just want to help you confess and believe right there at your seat. But you have to take that step of faith. All across this room, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you know you are not in right relationship with Jesus, but you need to accept the sacrifice of his blood to make you alive so you can spend eternity with him, I just... Just confess and believe. Just pray this prayer with me. You ready? Just say this. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, right there at your seat, just say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today because I need you. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. Would you come into my life and change me? Would you make me a new person? I don't want that old life anymore. Today, Jesus, I completely surrender all that I am to you. Every head still bowed and every eye still closed. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, I'm not going to embarrass you. You don't have to stand up. I just want to pray for you. If that's you, just lift up your hand real high. Lift it up real high. Don't miss this moment. All right. And God, we thank you for the blood of Christ, the perfect sacrifice that was shed on the cross with the forgiveness of sin. It's in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus we pray and everybody said, amen. Let's take the cup.
I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.